Hey everybody, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I'm very happy you're here today. Matt Beers is on the show today. Now this is one that I am really excited about. We are kindred spirits, Matt and I, as we are both tall cyclists with an infatuation with the sport. So not entirely anomalous in cycling, but being over six feet tall is not really the normal either. So we we are very excited to see Matt not just mixing it up, but establishing some incredible results. As I mentioned in the show, Matt Beers is a name that has preceded himself. I've heard of the results that he was putting together at Cape Epic. I've heard of the power monster that was coming out of South Africa, dipping his toe into gravel. I saw him put together some results last year on American soil, and here he is piecing together a fascinating and successful calendar in 2023, and seemingly lots more to come in 2024. Huge, huge thanks to Matt for being on the show during this busy week between Little Sugar and Big Sugar this coming weekend to cap off his North American campaign. Now, before we kick off this conversation, a quick reminder that I've started every day with AG1 for well over a year now. I love it. It is simple. It is tasty. It is easy. It has made my life better by providing the rich nutrients that I need akin to a multivitamin, but derived from real foods. And I don't need to tote around a half dozen bottles of vitamin pills to get there. Instead, it is one scoop or one of the super handy travel packs into a bottle with about mm, six to eight ounces of water. Shake, shake down the hatch, and we are off to the races. Look, it has made my life better, and I want your life to be better too with this. My guess is you have heard of it by now, AG1, whether in my podcast or someone else's. I want you to give it a try, so visit drinkag1.com slash tedking to get a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, drinkag1.com slash tedking, and you will see what all the fuss is about. That's it. That's all. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Beers. Matt Beers, I'm very excited to have you on the show. This is, I'm going to say a long time coming because... Um, I mean, I, I enjoy talking with people who race gravel. I enjoy talking with people who are doing the Lifetime Grand Prix. But I say long time coming because you are the first international racer that, that I've had on my radar. Um, so along that line of thinking, first off, we are on, what, two, three days out from Little Sugar. Massive result at Little Sugar. Second, um, second place down to the line in the sprint with... Keegan Swenson, and Keegan, I want to say, is pretty much untouchable on North American soil, so so to, to go as close as you did is pretty much a victory. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been, I've listened to your podcast for, geez, like, I think three years now, so. Um, Excellent. Yeah, I, I love it, and um, you've always got great people on, and you I like how you do it. So yeah, I'm honored to be here. And um, yeah, it was, it's nice to race mountain bike. That is my, <laughs> it's like my soul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, to come, to come to the line with Keegan, and we all know that it's quite a, a tricky task. Um, he's, he's fast for a little guy. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just 
just maybe timed it a bit wrong. But yeah, I mean, I think people liked it. It seemed there was a good, it was the best reception I've gotten for a second place. So sure. I suppose that. <laughs> well, yeah, they say when you look at, at least in the studies of Olympic podiums, first place is the happiest, second place is the least happy, third place is psyched because that person's on the podium. So exactly. with any luck, you're happy with that result. Um, yeah, first year event, Little Sugar. I mean, looking at the specifics of that, you got the likes of Tom Pigcock on the start line. What what were the what was the feeling of the race? How did how did you know? I don't think you've done a whole ton of mountain bike racing it's in North America. Um, how did the race go? Yeah, uh, obviously Tom being there, we were all like. Is he, you know, is he taking it seriously? Is it just a, sure. is it just a fun thing with, I don't know. We didn't know really. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, I mean, he's a racer, you know, he's yeah. out there to race. Um, but when he was like throwing some whips and skidding and stuff, I was like, you're not going to last too long out here, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this place is brutal. You just got to tiptoe your way around. And if, and if you don't punch it doing that, you, you've done a good job. So, um, yeah, he, I was right behind him when he flattered and, um, I don't know if he's had a whole lot of experience with plugs and things. Um, <laughs> I assume not. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I carried on and, um, I also had my fair share of, of flats and chasing back. So, oh, no kidding. Yeah, about I think I think I had to chase back about five times. So, holy um, smokes! And so, <laughs> I mean, dive into that real quick. My understanding: there was a mountain bike race. Maybe I want to say there was a UCI race in Bentonville. The terra firma, the the rocks are very unforgiving. They're sharp. They're harsh. That's what I assume you're referring to when you say Tom is doing these whips and so on and so forth. Furthermore, he's doing. 90 minute races where he's not accustomed to plugging. Like you have a flat and you're out. Is that, yeah, I mean, is that it? Yeah. This stuff out here, like you actually almost have to stop and like physically pick up the rock to understand why it cuts your tires. It's like a combination of like, almost like uh, broken quartz. I would like put the closest thing. So it's like extremely sharp, even in your hand. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you just got to be smooth and not basically don't let your tires leave the ground and don't do anything, you know, skidding that, stopping that, like the inertia of the tire sure. that obviously cuts. Um, and yeah, I raced Ruler 3 here last year yep. on the gravel bike. Yeah. And I mean, that was brutal on a gravel bike. And I kind of knew what to expect. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was it was good in that sense to know, okay, well, you just can't give up and you just plug your tires and, you know, CO2 them and um, don't let it just, you know, discourage you. That's what was my mindset. Yeah. And um, when I got my first punch, I was like, all right, well, here we go. Um, <laughs> let's, let's do this thing. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, is that characteristic of everybody in the race? Do you think... Do you think anybody went straight through start to finish without a mechanical, without an issue? Um, there were a few guys. Yeah. Um, I think I do think it helps being smaller. Sure. You know, you have less pressure on the, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm like 80 kilos. So yeah, the equipment <laughs> has a rough time with me on it. Um, 
And yeah, definitely there were some guys, but I think it also comes down to a bit of luck, to be honest. Like there were guys running the same tires who flatted and guys who didn't. So yeah, yeah, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, I think of um, Unbound has the Flint Hills, similar concept, just absurdly sharp rocks. And I think, yeah. you know, our listener will understand, okay, a sharp rock is a sharp rock. Um, but exactly what you said at the finish, it's like you'll either go start to finish and not have an issue and say, okay, I had the greatest tire choice and a little bit of luck and, and I'm a really skilled rider. Or go the other way and say, yeah, this this stuff is just like racing on knives and yeah, luck is against exactly. me. It's it's similar to like Cape Epic. I mean, we ran the same tires and I've I've done now three epics without a puncher oh no kidding um, so yeah it just proves like it's super gnarly out here i mean what i mean back home it's in south africa it's not <laughs> the conditions are not easy and it just it's just a testament as to how sharp the rocks are here it's just very different yeah. type of riding yeah um real quick side part of the conversation yeah everybody's sort of scratching their head saying what is tom pidcock doing here in my mind he was there at he was in North America racing the World Cup cyclocross, but I think those races might be finished. Is was was he literally only here just for the one race? Um, he did the the Monsanan World Cup and uh, oh, right, 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 duh, and uh, West Virginia. Yeah, and um, I think, and then he had a, a charity event in um, California. Yep, best buddies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then he, I chatted to him and asked him, and then he said he flew straight from um, Best Buddies straight into Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Saturday night, and yeah, jumped on his bike Sunday morning. So it's pretty pretty gnarly. Sure. I'm curious the level of hand holding, and by that I mean. You know, on North American soil, you're as a privateer, you're looking after yourself. And sure, these individuals or other privateers more and more have mechanics. On occasion, you might have a swanier. You got the, the specialized factory team, for example. So that you know, they're an operation. And Keegan and, and Tobin, they're they're a little operation. Um, but by and large, guys are looking after themselves. You show up, you take care of your own bike, so on and so forth. And then you get somebody. Like Tom Pidcock, who's coming from Ineos Grenadiers, is you know one of the most well looked after programs in the world, arguably the most. I, I I imagine he has a really good program when he goes as an individual to cyclocross races, to mountain bike races. Did you see a posse around him? Did you see a, a Ineos team, or was he literally flying solo? I mean, I think he was pretty much just solo, like Little Sugar. We actually had no support, which was weird, like no feeding, yeah. no wheels. It was just, you know, take your plugs and your CO2s and your, um, you know, whatever camelback <laughs> or whatever and yeah, good to go. And um, he rocked up with two little 500 mil bottles and um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we don't know what else. Uh, some very thin looking tires, not not the Continentals like you know, beefy tires. And, um, yeah, so maybe, maybe he just wanted to go out there and rip around until he flatted and then call it a day. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, 
I'm sure his motivation, you know, he won the, la- the world, last World Cup. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was kind of a little bonus race for him. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, someone was saying he's probably there for the prize money. And as much as the $12,000 check is nice, the salary that a guy like that is on, that's pocket change by, by relative standards. Um, yeah, I think... Anyway. I don't think that was his main... Um, <laughs> incentive to come here i'm sure sure there was other things (laughs) well yeah so speaking of that global travel um you know i was curious how the race went specifically but then i'm curious how did the race go in the context of the absurd amount of international travel that you've had on your plate so for the sake of specifics for the sake of generalities can you walk me through the past let's say month and a half two months of your calendar yeah, so um, when I applied for this lifetime thing, I kind of, um, I took the, I suppose it's not the greatest way to do it, but I was like, okay, I can only do five of the races. Um, and I'm basically going to put those into two blocks, American blocks of eight weeks and six weeks. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, first block was I missed the order. I went to um, Unbound. And I stayed from Unbound till Tasha. Um, and I stayed with Keegan and Sophia in Utah. Uh-huh. So that was my first eight weeks. Um, that was two lifetime races. So I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Check those. And then I came home. I think I was home for two and a half weeks, three weeks. Then I went to World Marathon Champs in Scotland. Yeah. And then I raced that. Then I came home. I think there was another two weeks or three, two and a half, three weeks. Then I came back to America for the six weeks. And then I got Schwamigan, um, the Rad, and then Big Sugar. So that was, for me, the most manageable way to, um, you know, for travel. It's only like two travels to the U.S. Um, Luckily, Everyone here in the USA are super accommodating on helping people, um, which has been really, really cool. Like, you're just part of the family with anyone. It's so that the culture has been really great. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to win the thing, it's, I mean, you have Keegan, which is your first problem, and, <laughs> and a few, and a bunch of other guys that are really good. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I kind of did it like this to feel out the series and, um, figure out the altitude racing for me, which has been really difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it. Well, you're faking altitude pretty darn well. So, okay. The literal logistics of it, there's seven races in the series. It's mandatory to race five to be in the contention for the overall. So the majority of people are going to have a drop or skip one, drop one. You're doing the minimum, the, the number of races you're doing is five. Uh, yeah. You're, if I'm not mistaken, you're sitting in seventh overall, which is gosh darn respectable, especially having no drops. Was it, well, backtrack a year. What was your experience in racing in North America last year? I know you did BWR, what, San Diego and had success there. Did you do other races in the U.S.? Yeah, so that was my first race, and that was a, a really cool, good success. Um, and then 
I did Gravel Locos. Oh, that's crashed. right. Duh. Yeah. Yep. Crashed out of that one. Um, and then I did Ruler 3. Um, and then I did, I'm trying to remember, Leadville and SBT when it was like the double. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. That's about it. So, which is a hoot because it's still, <laughs> I mean, yeah, dipping your toe in. I guess if you're going to dip your toe in, you may as well go deep because it takes so much time and effort resources to get over here in the first place. But it's not as though you came over for a single race and said, oh, I can do this. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wanted to to feel if it's something even, you know, viable, if it's in, like, you don't know, you can, you can speculate all you want from abroad and and until you're there and you're racing and you feel like, okay, I, you know, I have a shot at this. There's, there's things to learn for sure. It's never easy. You know how it is racing in a different country, not your own. Right. Um, and yeah, it, I think if you, if you're willing to accept the challenge and, um, and not get frustrated and just ex- expect yourself to win, uh, first go, then I think it's possible. So yeah. Is is the schedule that you're currently on of the two block racing go home? What you probably race? I think you race your national championships, the world championships, marathon, so on and so forth. Is that schedule basically the only schedule that would work for? I want to say logistical reasons. Like you can only have you know so much time in North America in the United States, rather before you get booted out without a, a <laughs> long-standing visa. So, yeah, how many options do you have on your plate as you were piecing it together? Yeah, so um, obviously for next year, I'm going to have to see if things change. Um, my main reason um, doing it this way was. Obviously, my main sponsor is Toyota, South Africa. Uh-huh. Um, they support me massively and obviously specialized South Africa and a bit of international. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a juggle. I kind of had to make sure I was keeping Toyota happy in South Africa with races there, winning races there, yeah. keep, keeping the team that I – help run and manage happy and every, all the sponsors happy. And then also trying to like <laughs> broaden my horizon, you know, here in the U S. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it was a, it's just been a bit of a juggle this year, just trying to keep, you know, partnerships happy and um, things like that. But yeah, maybe next year I will be able to focus a little bit more in the U S and kind of have South Africa as a, um, not a, not a back foot, but like have Cape Epic as the main kind of race. And then the other races, I can kind of prioritize us races over them. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if, a you know, if that comes to that, so. Well, the advantage of Toyota, especially is a, it's like the white whale, I think is the term. I mean, it's the thing that everybody in, in, in cycling wants as a vehicle sponsor but better yet it's toyota right it's a worldwide brand so i know you're representing toyota south africa but with any luck they're aware that you're you're putting out some huge presence in north america so 
you know, next year you're going to be Toyota North America and then you're Toyota worldwide. I think you're golden. <laughs> exactly. It has, it's definitely helped having, you know, su like such a recognizable outside of, um, you know, a cycling brand yeah. that is so recognizable. It's made life a lot easier. Like you said, you know, like I don't have to, they, they stoked with me racing here in the U S they uh, love it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, it, as much as they like it, they, you also need to be in South Africa and the people who support you there, you got to, yeah, it's a tricky one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. We were watching, my wife is a former triathlete. She still very much pays attention to the sport. The, the Ironman world championships just took place for the women in, in Hawaii. And the title sponsor was a Vietnamese car company so she she kept on asking what is i want to say vin car what is what is this company i'm like i don't know and we ended up googling it so yeah good for them for getting placement you know in in a worldwide market but toyota's pretty dialed and and yeah well done getting that on your chest um <laughs> let's backtrack all the way back what what is upbringing like are you you're born and raised in south africa were you born and raised in a Big family, small family, uh, athletic family, academic family. What's what is your upbringing like? Yes, yeah, so I was brought up um, in South Africa in a little on a farm. Um, I don't know what it would be in. What do you guys use here? Acres. Um, acres. We use hectares. <laughs> I think they're comparable. I'm not certain. Okay. Well, like a hundred hectare, maybe eighty um acres something so pretty big farm sure um my dad is an architect um so he's I suppose got the brains um and then my my mom was a nurse and then just looked after us and then i have one and i have one sister mm -hmm. um two years younger than me and um yeah, just rad childhood. Couldn't ask for a better for a better eighteen years of my life, pretty much. Yeah. Um, just bombing around the farm on motorbikes, causing chaos. <laughs> I didn't really. There was no rules. There was no. It was just a place to be, um, and did a lot of crazy things with friends, jumps, and I had a motocross track on the farm. Um, that's what I started off with racing and um, yeah, it was just like crazy places where all the kids went and yeah. you know, they'd have to worry. It was safe. It was free. There was no rules. My parents were, they just like, cool. Uh, if you want to come home at dark, you can, but if you want to sleep out there in the bush, it's also, it's your choice. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> Okay, I've, I have injured myself a lot on a bicycle. You fall off, and, and nature's airbag is collarbones and, and wrists and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think of cycling as safe, and yet I, I've hurt myself in those sports. Did you hurt yourself on the motorbike? Did, was was as you're saying, you're going off jumps, and this is Nitro Circus South Africa. Did you and your buddies yeah, stay so, safe? Or? So Nitro Cir Circus was actually our inspiration as kids <laughs> growing up. Like we were just like trying to copy everything they were doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've broken way too many bones. 
or my age, probably. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, tib and fib on both legs, wrists, collarbones, uh, T6, 7, and 8 vertebras. Um, yeah, the list is is hefty. Yeah, um, yeah. My foot, which is really bad. Um, and that's pretty much why I decided to go away from um, motocross. Um, I actually raced here in the States for two years. Oh, no kidding. Um, yeah, from 17, 18. And then took up cycling as um, rehabilitation, basically, from the injuries. Yeah. And um, they kind of were like, well, damn, you pretty freaking strong at this thing and i was like <laughs> dude i am not wearing lycra yeah like these this is that's not cool i'm not doing it uh-huh. uh, but yeah look at me now gravel gravel goblin doing the thing um sure <laughs> so yeah i mean obviously i had an engine i just love training and um and yeah i've had my fair share of injuries the same as you on the bicycle it seems you Hit the you hit the ground pretty hard as well on the bike. So yeah, well, yeah. One thing I wanted to get to eventually is I am tall. You are tall. We are big human beings. Um, <laughs> in general, an assumption is big human beings. You know, your strength to weight ratio gets exemplified for smaller humans when it goes to going uphill or excelling at altitude. But you've done well at crusher um i think you've done what you did really well at leadville where do you think your strengths lie you know i mean i think people could immediately look at our size and say you're not going to do well at altitude but you you seem to excel at a bit of everything yeah uh i think i just enjoy climbing funny enough um i call like we always joke with i have another friend that I ride with back home and he's also a massive guy and we both climb really well and we're like, yeah, well, we just climbers, you know, yeah. we just spawn climb. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, I think if you do it enough, you, your body or, you know, your anaerobic system becomes adaptable to it. And I, I, I kind of have a rule that if it's three hours, you need to do 2,000 meters. Um, if it's four hours, it needs to be close to 3,000. That was just kind of how my brain worked. And it looks good on Strava and people like it. So I was You're like, saying that me. was your translation purely to get a lot of climbing in your legs. You would put those ratios together? Yeah, pretty much. So um, wait, say it again. Two hours was 2,000 meters of climbing, which is... Uh, three, yeah. Two hours was 3,000 meters. No, no, no. Um, three hours, 2,000 minimum. Okay. And then four hours, it should be 3,000 or close to. Dang. What and is... then five hours must be over 3,000 without non-negotiable. Yeah. <laughs> is... That was like bonehead logic. Well, I like it. I mean, it's, it's apparently served you well. Um... <laughs> I guess I'm thinking, like, is home... You don't live in the Netherlands, right? It's not pancake flat. I assume that home is conducive to being able to climb like that, correct? Yeah, we uh, where I live in Cape Town, um, it's it's on the coast, but like there's mountains straight from the coast up. 
So I assume it's like kind of like Santa Cruz, I guess. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so we have a lot of um, 10 minute, 10 to 20 minute climbs. Um, but yeah, you can just, you know, you can just piece together like 20 of them sure. if you want. Huh. Um, so it's just up, down, up, down, high normalized power, low average power, that kind of um, effort on the body. Yeah. yeah. And what was, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. W- would you say that your entry into cycling was through physical therapy where they're like, you got to go spin your legs and stay active and recuperate? Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much just to, um, I, I have to do exercise of some sort. I'm just like, it's wired that I way. just need it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I couldn't walk, I couldn't run. Um, but I could ride a bike, you know, on the trainer and then outside because it's so low impact. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that was like my escape to, you know, you're young and you think the world's crashing, um, because you have an injury. Meanwhile, it's your dumb, it's on your stupid (laughs) heart, but you know, when you're young, you just, (laughs) you just think the world's out to get you. And, um, yeah, I think that was it. You just an escape. And it was nice just not having to do something and not having pain and finding roots pretty sure. much, yeah. And so what's the what's the timeline, what's the segue of events that where you go from, hey, I'm not going to wear a spandex to competing, to racing, to finding a number on your front of your bike? Mm, I think it was about a year. Yeah, about a year. Yeah. Um, I was in crutches for um, eight months, so it was really long. Um, I broke my foot, and it was like this very complicated break, um, like multiple surgeries and things like that. And then I actually couldn't walk or ride for a long time, but cycling was fine. So um, I remember I couldn't unclip with that foot. So it was like quite sketchy because yeah. I, I physically couldn't twist my foot that way because it was so messed up. Yeah. Um, so like I was pretty scared of clippings and then I did a race and I was just like stressing the whole time that if I was going to slip, I couldn't clip out. <laughs> um, and yeah, after that I was hooked pretty much. Um, my coach, he coached me with motocross and then he was a cyclist. So he kind of encouraged me and um, he's still my coach to this day and he works with um, Bora and stuff. So it's been cool to see him progress and myself. So it's been quite a journey. It's quite cool. Is to continue on that tangent, is his background motorsports? I mean, how does he go from motorsports to, to coaching some of the biggest world tour teams? Yeah. It, I mean, it was from, he had always cycled like at a quite a high level in South Africa. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, his love and passion was motocross and he had a few motocross teams in South Africa. I was on one of his teams and yeah, he kind of had a, um, he trained motocross guys and cyclists. That was his thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, kind of like a guy here in SA, I mean, in America called Alden Baker, okay. who trains like, all yeah. the very top supercross yeah very similar thing to that and then yeah he got more stepped away from motocross because it's a very small 
um, sport in South Africa and then yeah, stepped his way up to up to the big leagues. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay, and then, then walk me through some of the, the early racing years. I mean, I think before I knew who your work who you were, your name preceded you with results at Cape Epic. Um, mm-hmm. what is that early period of racing like up through <laughs> to gloss over it up through the present like like when do you start racing cape epic when do you start excelling at it oh so i guess like when i first racing really high end was from about 2017 to now yep. and um yep. my first epic was 2016 as like kind of fun um did it with gopro you know, yeah. like we were the first like vloggers <laughs> of that. Um, if it if we did it now, it would have been a huge success. But right. yeah, we were too ahead of the time, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm gonna um, go back and I'm gonna find that. You can find them, nice. yeah, with Ali uh, Munich. It's pretty okay. funny. Um, yeah, and then basically, that's like our biggest race in terms of international exposure, um, and yeah, a race that's I thought there's no ways, you know, I could ever win this thing. Or it's just the level is just so high and you just like so out of depth. Um, and yeah, just year after year, got a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, the breakthrough year was like 2019 with Alan Hatherley, who rides for Cannondale. Sure. Um, yep. He's like one of my best friends. Thanks. And when he was on Specialized, we raced um, together and we got, we almost won the prologue and I smashed the wheel like the last kilometer. Um, and then we came fifth overall. Um, so that was like, kind of like, whoa, you know, yeah, we can, we can do this thing. Uh-huh. And COVID came along uh, and then I stagiered for UAE after the end of 2019. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like a really big eye opener to the level. Um, I think it was personally, I think it was like a huge turning point in my mind. Um, just seeing the level that, you know, you raced, you raced at and you just like, man, I can do a lot more and there's a lot of things I can do better. And you know, really dedicate yourself to try and get to that level uh-huh. and pretty much went home without anything. And I was like, man, we just, we just got to freaking work now properly. Like what I've been doing was, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something flipped in my mind and pretty much went through COVID trained like an animal and trainer like 20 plus hours a week on the trainer, just going full ham and to escape bad weather or cause it's, it's a very controlled environment or why were you on the trainer? Oh, just through COVID. We went a lot outside. Oh, sure. Yep. That'll do it. Yeah. So it was super strict back home and, um, and then, yeah, just carried on that momentum and then, um, Epic was canceled that year. And then I got the opportunity to race with um, Jordan Saru. Sure. Specialized. And um, 
yeah, somehow we we got it done. Um, <laughs> and then from there, it's just been, and then we got it done again with Chris this year, which is also just crazy. So I didn't think I would ever win it again. And, um, and then I knew I kind of wanted to, I'd achieved, I've, I've won a lot of stuff in South Africa. I've won everything like race wise, pretty much. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, that was my motivation for coming to the U S doing some gravel and kind of, you know, I, I really wanted to go back in 2021, but, um, just with the financials and everything, it didn't work. And then yeah. I had more control with Toyota and the team and it was like my setup, I could dictate what I wanted to do. And I knew I had to come here and try it out. So, yeah. Yeah. That is wildly impressive for no shortage of reasons. Um, I think not least of which that so much happened right through COVID, you know, it's like from, from that story, it's like you had this little spark, you had a glimmer of success before COVID and then you just, you know, smash it through this lockdown period and have come out flying. Um, as opposed to I've seen it before and have, you know, excel in 2017, 18, 19, and then have sort of this two part chapter. It's like so much of this is just so recent. Um, I do want to talk about the stagiaire year because that is also jumping in the deep end. What, um, what team were you on early in that year? And at what point did you go over and, and put on a UAE kit? <laughs> so, yeah, so I was with the South African like mountain bike team. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that was a great, amazing team. And, um, basically my coach was working with UAE at the time and, um, they asked about me obviously through Epic uh-huh. because I think that was like kind of the rise of Thunderpool with the mountain bike. And yeah, yeah. that's kind of when it started. And uh, I think they were like, Hmm, okay. The mountain bike guys are pretty strong, you know? And then I obviously, you know how it goes. You have to do a bunch of tests and send all your data. Yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, they were willing to, kind of take a give me a chance to show how it's done and um i didn't really know anything like i didn't know how stagiaire works like do you do you do the thing and then they give you a job uh, do you have to win something <laughs> so it was quite <laughs> confusing um but i did like burgos um i did tour of Slo- slovakia yeah um i did a few classics Brussels classic and some other ones. Um, yeah. And it was just like, so cool. It's like things I've dreamt of, you know, going on that bus and you're just like, what on earth is happening? Right. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. So it was very cool. Did you know anyone on the team? (laughs) No, no one. Um, I think they also were like, who, on earth is this guy, yeah. this tall, random dude who <laughs> had, I knew how to race a road bike. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd raced quite a few road tours in South Africa and won them. Uh-huh. Um, so, but you know how it is. You just get told what to do. Yeah. Like sit on the front, hammer, get bottles, survive. Right. 
do you think? Um, that's, that's the gnarliest part. Um, okay. For one, let me educate our listener. A stagiaire is, you know, it's a term. I don't even know what it means. Our listener probably knows what it means. But you can stagiaire in a kitchen or you can stagiaire for a cycling team, which means it's like an apprenticeship. You go in, the team itself is the mentor. You learn the trick of the trade or the, the rules of the trade, rather. The game, you learn how to you learn how to race. But the assumption is you already know and like you're proving your worth, right? You're proving you can sit on the front and hammer, you can prove that you can go get bottles, you can prove that you can do whatever the six watts per kilo. The the crazy part to me is most people have been doing it exclusively in the in the silo of road racing so like they understand the dynamics of road racing like you said okay you've done a couple of road races but your heart is in mountain biking and that's where your skill set presumably was it's i'm i'm rambling because i'm so impressed um so hats off to you for just surviving that <laughs> yeah it was like i said i learned i learned a ton and it, it definitely sparked um, something inside of me. And so, you know, very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think without it, I would have just, you, you never know that depth. And, um, I got so strong just when I came back and I raced, I had to go back to the team that I left and literally cut my contract with. And I said like, listen, I'll just race the last race of the year. Yeah. And then, and then I jumped straight off the road bike onto the mountain bike and we won the last race of the year so um, it just made me so strong and i was like man this is crazy yeah yeah that's right uh what do you what do you think of of somebody like pidcock or vanderpool who can jump between sports i mean are they are they anomalous is it what i've chalked it up to is somebody like sagan who in the early 20 teens was doing tricks on a bike that, that people didn't think were fathomable, right? He was bouncing around on one wheel with no hands and, and his background was mountain biking. So he was showing people what, what, what people were, what riders were capable of in a variety of different bikes. And then at that point, a guy like Pidcock, a guy like Vanderpoel was 10 years old. So they were looking up to that. Do you think that's going to become more and more commonplace or do you think cycling is such a regimented discipline that you need to, you know, be solely focused on one discipline of cycling. Uh, I mean, I would, I would say that those guys are, yeah, they're, they're super special to yeah. be able to, to do that at the level they do it. And first, um, I think, I think quite a few guys have managed to like, um, go and see the road. Like I know Alan, raced a little bit with ef this yep. year yep. um on a devo team and yeah he was like holy this is <laughs> absolutely crazy yeah. and um i think also keegan you know racing the world road champs he also was like oh my goodness yeah. it is insane yeah. so i mean that's a testament i think to how impressive they are and there's like two guys and then there's a youngster I think he's a Norwegian guy on the juniors who won. Yeah. I might. Um, yeah. And he's the one other guy 
and then that's about it. Right. So. This guy's nuts, right? He won the what junior road race, mountain bike race, and time trial or something just absurd, or cyclocross yeah. in there also. I mean, it's yeah, insane. He's, he's Sagan esque. He's Pidcock esque. Um, and then who else? Who's the Kiwi who's crushing it? Uh, the guy from New Zealand. Um, yes. Yeah. Sam Gaze. Yeah. It, yeah. So he, I'm good mates with him as well. And um, yeah, I mean, he also, he just says the road is just so, so hectic as well. Which I mean, bananas. Like, I mean, he dropped in on the Vuelta. How much racing had he done prior to that on the road? No, not a lot. Not a whole lot. <laughs> like, good luck. It's, <laughs> it's the it's the least crazy grand tour. You'll do fine. Yeah, it's those guys are like you said. They're something. They're yeah. Um. So you raced the mountain bike marathon, mountain bike world championships. You, I think, called them a, a sort of mediocre twentieth place. Did you you did not race gravel world championships? Is that correct? Yeah, no, I didn't. Did you pay attention to the race? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love any racing, bike racing. Um, I did. I did want to do it, but the amount of travel, yeah. I was already yeah. And then also, I kind of, I did. I did the last. I did last year's and. Um, I heard rumblings that it was going to be very similar course wise and things like that. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that again because that was not really gravel racing. And then, and real quick, uh, having not been there and only heard random rumors, how would you characterize that first gravel world championships last year's? Mm. (laughs) Not great. I mean, it, it had potential for sure to be really cool. Um, like the beginning was quite dynamic with like a climb and then down like the single track type stuff, but then it was just nothing after that. And, um, you know, you could ride the whole thing on 32s right. easily, yeah. um, which I think is enough to say it's not really gravel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there was all this stuff of um, the races chain the race changed um, this year, like from those old organizers to like different ones. And then the whole route changed. And I was like, Oh, well now it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, from chatting to Keegan and a bunch of the guys at sound, like it was, it was gnarly out there and it looked good. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. It looked proper. I mean, it sounds like you and I observed it the same way this year. You were there. <laughs> tires on the ground last year and yeah it looked tame last year it looked pretty pretty wild this year is there is there any surprise to you or are you upset or what are your thoughts that the vast majority of the the top finishers are world tour pros and by that i mean i've had people say they're they've they've found it insulting that these roadies are doing so well at the gravel world championships. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, to me, it's no surprise racing, you know, those, those few months at UAE, um, to me, it doesn't surprise me. The guys are un, unbloody believable. Um, and 
they can all ride bikes. They can all push like things you've never seen before. Like they have a switch. I definitely noticed there's a switch, like this killer switch that is just something else out there. Maybe from racing so young and at that level where it's just so cutthroat. Um, yeah, they have something else. Like they are really phenomenal athletes and they train really, really, really hard. So to me, it's no surprise, um, to be honest. Um, like maybe if a course gets really technical and maybe like kind of the 200 plus kilometer, maybe like he, you know, Keegan, I think he really comes into his own on that, like excessively long stuff. Mm -hmm. But in saying that those guys also, they just get stronger as it goes on. So <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Um, but I think we can definitely like we can, we can up our game and get closer and closer, I think, but it will be always hard to beat a world tour guy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No disagreement at all to be able to handle your bike in a world tour Peloton takes ridiculous bike handling skills on top of that all world tour pros just have absurd engines. So yeah, it's not what I keep coming back to is there's not a specific skill set to gravel, you know, like you need to be good at everything, but, but that's the same skill set to be good at road racing. So as opposed to the explosivity of, you know, Olympic mountain biking, for example. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have that engine to get a gap and I mean, then you just got a corner a few times that's all it really takes. So <laughs> if you if you break it down, okay, there's going to be 10 more corners. I'm pretty sure most people can ride 10 corners pretty slow. And then if they're motoring the rest of the time, you ain't going to get them. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think if I did, also if I did do it, I would definitely race minimum of three of these UCI um, gravel series because – like start position, yeah. I think everyone got a fright this year. On if you didn't do those races, you pretty much. I mean, Keegan moved up, but it's still a hell of an effort. Um, you you got to prioritize and plan it a little bit for it, I think. So that's a that's a great sort of all encompassing question. Where, like, okay, so here's this long-winded question. Where does your heart lie in cycling? Like, are you a mountain bike racer? Are you a gravel racer? Do you, I mean, you just like all, all cycling. So where does your heart lie? What kind of racer are you? I mean, marathon mountain bike is, that's, I love it. Yeah. Um, this weekend, it was just rad. I was just like 100 kilometers, four and a half, four, five hours of mountain bike. Yeah. It's just sick. Like, that's what I'm used to. It's my comfort zone. So, <laughs> um, and then gravel is just a challenge. It's a new challenge where I can cross, I can bring what I have from the marathon over to the gravel. Uh -huh. So that's how I look at it. Uh -huh. So then from the perspective of an international racer, you, you have this wealth of, of experience racing a bike. What is the spirit of gravel? <laughs> and I say both tongue in cheek and completely serious in the context of what I was hinging off just a minute ago, 
you know, chasing UCI points in order to do well at the UCI Gravel Worlds, that's interesting as it compares to North American 200-mile races, 300-mile races, as it compares to short, punchy, steep, fast, dynamic two-hour races. Like, with all that, what, what what's the spirit of gravel to you? Uh, maybe I came into gravel, the spirit had already gone. Um, <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> no, but I think here in the US, there is a like you know, unbound doing unbound this year for the first time. And, um, like I said to people back home, because obviously there's a lot of like everyone wants to know, and um, there's definitely something there that's unique, like it's just the people, the atmosphere, it's like people just going out there and riding there, it doesn't matter. Like, I think that is something that you can't feel really anywhere else, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would capture that feeling and call it like the spirit of gravel if I could. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's different. Like, it's something I can't explain. Like, it's just weird, like having no, there's no competitiveness to me. And that's strange. Like in South Africa, it's always like the, even the old dudes are like, oh, I want to beat my mate like down the road or yeah. And then Unbound is just like it's like whatever. They're just having a good time and it's brutal and it's tough and everyone just loves it and everyone's so helpful. And um so yeah. And then and then you have the UCI part where and it's kind of the stuff that we're doing now. It's just it's full on livelihood. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you have a particular event or or flavor of gravel that stands out to you as yeah, I'd like to do all this, or do you like it all? Do you do you enjoy being able to do it all? Yeah, I think it's because it's there's so many dynamic races now out here, like you can kind of get a a feeling of all of it and it's it's nice to to do all of them i don't really have a favorite or yeah like i love i love racing i like the competitiveness but then i also like to just ride my bike so um yeah i i guess the environment dictates that sure in the moment yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah outside of the rift in iceland i've only ever competed in north america i would love to go do more stuff internationally but even within america i love the long ones the short ones the the 2000 person events as much as i like a 200 person event um and so yeah as i phrased the question i realized it was a little bit stupid because you know that all-encompassing thing i think is is what gravel is and, and what makes gravel fun um i'm not a lot of people are like, oh, man, are you disappointed by the UCI? And, of course, like everybody, I was wary about what they were going to be doing. But I'm glad. I mean, I think the, there's a different perspective what the UCI means to Europeans. There's a, there's, a, there's a better understanding, whereas I feel like a North American perspective is just that the UCI is the police and the police are bad. It's like, no, they're, they're doing things differently, and European gravel is going to feel different than North American gravel. But at the end of the day, they're putting more people on bikes and... Geez, I mean that's that's what we're after, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you, yeah, you can't, it can't all be the same, really. It's the same as like a mountain bike as well. You mm-hmm. get really serious, like epic, but you can also take epic as just an absolute like odyssey, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So we race it and it's like super intense and super stressful. But then there's guys out there, they're like, it's the best eight days of my life. Yeah. Just you out there in Africa with your friends, just slogging away. And it's just such a, so yeah, I think it's a matter of perspective on, yeah. on where it, for yourself. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to, we're going to keep it under an hour. Um, We'll wrap with three traditional questions. Uh, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? What is the number one place that you would like to ride that you have never ridden? And with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Well, um, what is the first one again? <laughs> uh, favorite place to ride a bike. Oh, favorite place. Uh, man, that's i've ridden in a lot of places i've been lucky enough yeah uh, yeah and yeah between america uh colorado is beautiful um i have yet to been be go to vermont i've heard it's beautiful it's stunning it's it's yeah. a little bit rainy and overcast now we got the foliage going the leaves are changing it's it's stunning i'd like to come there yeah open invitation but, come on out but yeah probably Probably Colorado is just it's it's pretty vast. Pretty, yeah. Um, and then the next one was where would you like to go? Was where, it the number one place you'd like to ride that you've never ridden a bike before? Um, geez, that's I would say like South America. Never been there. Yeah. Um, that could be cool. Nice. And then who would I want to ride with? That's a tough one. Um, Jeez, I don't really know. Maybe Froom, Chris Froom or something. Froom Dog, I, I like it. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I always looked up to him and um, his work ethic and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, maybe his his reels and stuff now it's like gone a bit far, but yeah, still good. <laughs> Gotta <dude>. stay relevant, <laughs> man. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Uh, terrific answers. Um, I'm looking forward to paying attention to this weekend's results at uh, Big Sugar, where you're going to wrap up the Lifetime Grand Prix. Um, hot tip, it does start, it starts ballistic. Um, I did it two years ago, and it was very casual, and then I did it last year, and I was just like, what on earth are we doing? I take that back. Three years ago, it was casual. The past two years have been ballistic. Oh, really? So, I mean, you're going to excel because it's basically a mountain bike race to start on pavement. You're, just, you're going to be motor pacing for like, I forget, 10K, and then you hit the dirt, and then all, all hell breaks loose. And then it's just a mountain bike race on gravel bike. You're going to crush it. You're going to have a blast. Yeah, just got just to gotta keep the air in the tires because exactly. it is tricky out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also a race that don't give up because you can claw your back and claw your way back in. Yeah, no, definitely. What, what race? You're not coming out. No, uh, the King Challenge is the oh, this yeah. 13th annual um, fundraising ride, which is always the third Saturday in October, and it just so happens that 
this week doesn't or this month this year doesn't work out well for big sugar because it's always been a week apart from big sugar but unfortunately oh, not this year um that i think is the last like proper event i mean then it's just going to be a begin of season of hibernation and planning the next adventures planning next year what's yeah. what's on the card um, next year? good question i mean a handful of we got a couple international trips coming up, um, looking close. Nothing's confirmed, but looking at Colombia, looking at uh, a trip to northern oh. Italy, a trip to Mallorca. Um, oh. I'm really enjoying, you know, I have like the, the staple events that I know and love, and those will be there, but I really enjoyed doing new things, new events, new races. Yeah. Um, so no shortage of those popping up anyway yeah it's it's the season of hibernation and planning 2024 i think you know nice. the drill. that's cool i mean is is that columbia one the same one as like lawrence has done a few times no uh oh. we might it's it's a bit of a scouting mission oh okay right um so yeah not an actual event um Oh yeah, I do also want to go to Spain and do a race, and then yeah, there's <laughs> just a lot. It's that it's that brainstorm period, you know. Uh, awesome. We will see, but yeah, I've wanted to. I've ridden a bike in South America, but only at Tour of San Luis. So okay, yeah, time to go check out new areas. Yeah, agreed. Sounds good. Oh, well, hopefully our paths cross again. I would hope Thanks. so. Yeah, uh, gravel locos. With any luck, I mean, we we sort of race that for a bit at the same time but i'll yeah i'll be at a whole bunch of the big ones so yeah we'll we'll hang we'll chat we'll catch up awesome thank you for taking the time and having me on yeah likewise that's the exact message thank you very much so best of luck this weekend thank, thank you. you very much matt all right over and out bye